Hi, everybody. This is Jimmy DeYoung. I'm not at Broadcast Central in Chattanooga, Tennessee, but in temporary studios quite a distance away from Chattanooga. I'm here in Oklahoma. Edmond, Oklahoma, will be at the Fairview Baptist Church tomorrow. Pastor Paul Blair, by the way, he used to play for the Chicago Bears, and he was a lineman when they went to the Super Bowl. But he's away. We're going to be having opportunity to fill in for the pastor. We're going to be focusing on presidents, politics, and prophecy. That's the Fairview Baptist Church in Edmond, Oklahoma. Come join us, 930 service, 1030 service. Come join us for those two powerful prophetic passages that we're going to be dealing with there at the Fairview Baptist Church. Well, welcome to the 90 minutes that I request from you every week so we can look at current events around the world and talk with our broadcast partners to get the information we need. We're going now to Washington, D.C., the catbird seat, where we find Ken Timmerman. Let me get it right underway, Ken. There's a report coming out of Syria that up to 200 Russian advisors were killed, U.S. forces in Syria, seemingly responsible. What do you know? Well, what we do know is that there was a clash between uh, the Russians and the United States about a week ago uh, along the Euphrates River in an area that ostensibly is controlled by the U.S. and our Kurdish allies. The uh, Americans saw that a Syrian and Iranian force was about to cross the Euphrates between Iraq and Syria. The Russians were helping them to build a floating pontoon bridge. And U.S. helicopter gunships, F-22 stealth fighters, other aircraft, and C-130 aircraft as well opened fire on the entire convoy crossing the river, blew up the bridge, and apparently killed a number of Russians. Now, the Russians have acknowledged that five five, not 205 uh, military advisors who were not actually in the military, but were mercenaries working for a private company were killed. But as you mentioned, there are reports on the ground of as many as 200 Russians being killed. This is a big, big black eye for Putin. And uh, I am sure this has just increased the tensions between the United States and Russia over Syria. Well, let me continue along the line with Russia and what they have been doing. An official is making the statement that if Iran attacks Israel, that Russia will stand with Israel. Now, remember, Prime Minister Netanyahu had a meeting with Vladimir Putin in Moscow about a week, week and a half ago. Do you think this is possible? Would Russia defend Israel, the Jewish state of Israel, from Iran, if indeed Iran did attack the Jewish state. What you're referring to here is an interview by the uh, deputy ambassador to Tel Aviv, uh, to Jerusalem, to Israel, uh, the Russian ambassador, Folov, who is saying that in the event that Iranians or Iranian-backed Hezbollah forces attacked Israel, which we don't think is ever going to happen, Russia will be on Israel's side. I think this was really just a rhetorical statement made by a deputy ambassador. It's not a senior official. I don't know how much weight I would put uh, on this. I would put much more weight on the exchanges between uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu and Vladimir Putin in Moscow. And it seems there that Putin has been making some guarantees to Israel and trying to limit the activities of Hezbollah along Israel's northern border. 
Well, I've read the last chapter on this whole situation. Ezekiel 38 says that Russia will be the main player leading a coalition of Islamic states against the Jewish state of Israel. And I would rely on what God's word said. That's an absolute. Talk to me about the United States seeking to build a military base near the Iraqi-Iranian border. What's happening? Well, you know, the, the U.S. still has several thousand troops in Iraq, in different places, most of them in northern Iraq today. You know, I think this is this is an Iranian government uh, allegation that the U.S. is building a permanent base. Uh, I know during my most recent visit to Kurdistan, the Kurds certainly wanted to have permanent U.S. bases, but the U.S. was resisting that. So this is not something that's happened yet. I think what the Iranians are simply doing is trying to blow out of proportion the relatively small U.S. presence at military bases that currently exist in Iraq. Uh, I would like to see the U.S. government build permanent bases in Iraq. I think that's to our advantage, especially if we did it within the Kurdish areas, but I don't see that happening just yet. Iran's drone that they allowed to fly over into Israeli airspace was what gave us the uptick in the activities in the Middle East. But now there's a report out that uh, America had better pay attention to these drones coming out of Syria, built by and sent into the areas by Iran. So United States and Israel should be concerned. Well, absolutely, uh, because these drones are just not ordinary drones. These are not little handheld things that fly up, uh, uh, you know, a couple hundred feet. These are basically miniaturized versions of a B-2 bomber. These are flying wing aircraft that can carry explosives as well as reconnaissance packages. Where did the Iranians get get, uh, the technology for this? Well, guess what? They captured one of our drones and uh, flying in Afghanistan and flew it into Iran. It's called an RQ-170 Sentinel drone, which is uh, a CIA stealth drone, probably the biggest, not the biggest, one of the biggest in our arsenal. They captured it, brought it into Iran, and now uh, reverse engineered it uh, over the past five to six years. Now they're mass producing these things used one of them to fly into Israel. The Israelis shot it down with an Apache helicopter and then sent their fighter jets back into Syria to blow up the the Iranian base uh, that had launched the drone. And that's where one of the Israeli, the eight Israeli aircraft attacking uh, that uh, Iranian base was hit with a Syrian anti-aircraft missile. The pilots managed to get back over Israeli airspace and, and eject uh, they both survived. My understanding is both of them survived. They're wounded. And then the Israelis went back on a second uh, retaliatory raid and hit Syrian air defense forces inside Syria. Been a focus this last week, uh, Ken, on Hezbollah, the Islamic terrorist organization sponsored and funded by the Iranian regime. And Hezbollah, of course, located there in southern Lebanon at Israel's northern border. I believe it was Secretary of State Tillerson that made a statement that uh, uh, this is of great concern to the Lebanese government, and they are going to have to make certain that Hezbollah withdraws from that region. At the same time, Iraqi militia are vowing to back Hezbollah in their war against Israel. Boy, this, this whole thing could really heat up as it relates to Hezbollah. 
Absolutely. And you're talking about a very large force. Hezbollah is not a small militia. They are, you know, tens of thousands of now battle-hardened forces that command an arsenal of 150,000 rockets aimed at Israel today from Lebanon. Secretary of State Tillerson met with the president of Lebanon, Michel Aoun. Uh, this is somebody I've known for over 20 years. He has now, unfortunately, allied himself, although he's a Maronite Christian, he has allied himself with Hezbollah. And uh, Tillerson had harsh words with President Aoun, and he said that Hezbollah is an enemy of all of us in the Middle East, including the state of Lebanon. Aoun simply said, well, we'll keep them from attacking Israel for now. But this is just the beginning. I, th I think Secretary Tillerson was a bit surprised in this trip. He went to Jordan. He went to Egypt to visit with President al-Sisi, had this tough visit to Lebanon, and then an even tougher trip to Ankara, where he had a three-hour private meeting with President Erdogan, which I am guessing was a three-hour rampage, a shouting rampage by Erdogan against the United States and against U.S. support for Kurdish troops. Uh, after that meeting, uh, Tillerson came out and acknowledged publicly that uh, we have some pretty serious differences of opinions with the Turkish government. Oh, to be a fly on the wall in that meeting, I'm sure you're pretty much on target as to how it unfolded. Well, speaking of Erdogan, talk to me about his statement. He said that the Turkish Republic today is simply a continuation of the Ottoman Empire. That's his desire. He wants to revive it, doesn't he? Well, very interesting that he, he mentions the Ottoman Empire because, uh, you know, that is uh, before, obviously, Ataturk and the modern secular Turkish state. So the Ottoman Empire was the last caliphate. Uh, and remember that when Ataturk took over in the early 1920s, he abolished the caliphate. And by the way, that's the whole reason that the Muslim Brotherhood was set up four years later in 1928 was to reestablish the caliphate. So this is a, you know, this is history here, uh, Jimmy, that we're seeing. Erdogan is, is harking back to the previous era of Turkish domination, the 500 years that Turkey dominated much of Europe as well as the Middle East. Iraq was part of the Ottoman Empire. Syria and Lebanon, part of the Ottoman Empire. And he, when he says he wants to reestablish hegemony of the Ottomans, uh, we should take this seriously because it really is a big deal. There's a great deal of history there. The Turks are well aware of it. They have been talking about jihad against the Kurds, but also when they talk about the Ottoman Empire, they're talking about reestablishing territorial control over parts of other countries. And I would wager that the first parts of other countries that they're interested in are the Kurdish areas in northern Syria and the Kurdish areas in uh, western Iraq. Friends, have you heard the word history a couple of times in that commentary from Ken Timmerman? That is key. To understand Bible prophecy, you must first understand the history and the background of any particular region of the world, and the Bible does say they will be a major player. The Ottoman Empire controlled the Middle East for a number of years. They're wanting to do that again right now. It's a part of a prophetic scenario, and the reason that we bring men like Ken Timmerman, who have met these leaders that we've been talking about in the Middle East to these broadcast tables. Ken, thank you so very much. Great insight, buddy. Always a joy to talk with you. We'll have another conversation next week. Thank you, Jimmy. It's a pleasure to be with you. God bless.
We're going to take a break, and when we come back, David Dolan has a Middle East news update for us. That's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. How do you like your news? You know, Jimmy, folks are listening to the news every single day, but sometimes they're getting that liberal bent, and we want them to have a different look at the news. Jay, that's correct. I have listened to ABC, CBS, and NBC when I returned from Jerusalem back to the United States, having just witnessed a news event in the Middle East, and hear the commentators over here speaking something almost different. That's why I write the Until Newsletter, and it takes the leading news stories of the month. I give the absolute truth behind all the details in those headlines, and then we look at it from a prophetic perspective. I want to give you the insight from God's Word as to how the political is setting the stage for the prophetic to be fulfilled. And Jay's going to give you the phone number how you can get your free copy of Until the Prophecy Newsletter. Just give us a call at 8-PROPHECY-8. That's 877-674-3298. In today's world, a biblical worldview and a proper understanding of biblical prophecy should be a priority. At a time when many false doctrines are entering the church at a frightening pace, we must be able to rightly divide God's Word in order to live a pure and productive life for Him. If you would like an in-depth understanding of biblical prophecy, let me challenge you to consider Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's School of Prophets. The School of Prophets is an online study for the layman or student pursuing a master's or doctorate degree. Dr. DeYoung's online study program will allow you to develop a timeline of biblical prophecies of the past as well as future prophecies yet to be fulfilled. Your personal study of God's Word will only be enhanced by Dr. DeYoung's School of Prophets and your life will be changed as you better understand, like Daniel, where you fit into God's calendar of events. If you're interested in developing a deeper understanding of God's prophetic Word, let me personally invite you to become involved in Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's School of Prophets. Call today at 8-PROPHECY-8. That's 877-674-3298 or visit us at schoolofprophets.org. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. Jimmy DeYoung here in Temporary Studios in Edmond, Oklahoma. We're going to be at the Fairview Baptist Church tomorrow morning. We've got two powerful services on Bible prophecy. Love to have you come. We start at 9.30 and then at 10.30, the second service. That's the Fairview Baptist Church. Come along and join the study of President's Politics and Prophecy. That's the focus that Pastor Blair wanted me to give to the people who would gather for this prophecy conference. Okay, let's get to what I promised you. David Dolan with a Middle East News update. David, a number of items we need to deal with. Let's get right underway. It seems like the escalation at the northern border of Israel means that Israel had better be preparing for war. Now, is that the indication that you see as you look at what is happening there at the Syrian-Israeli and the Lebanese-Israeli borders as well? It is, Jimmy. And, you know, it was this time last week while we were on the air that the Israelis were beginning to respond to the Iranian drone that came into their airspace We now know that that Iranian drone was an exact copy of an American, very sophisticated drone that was captured by Iran several years ago while it went down in Iranian territory, and they they captured it, they dissected it, took it apart, and built a new one based on it, and that's what was sent into 
Israel, those are capable, Jimmy, of carrying bombs, of carrying chemical weapons, their spy things as well. They're very sophisticated. Of course, Israel shot that down and then responded by hitting all those Syrian air bases, Iranian air bases. We're hearing reports now that 200, not 100, but 200 Russians were killed several days earlier where when U.S. and pro-Assad forces clashed near the Euphrates River, the Russians were trying to build a bridge over the river to go to the other side and start trouble there, and the Americans weren't going to allow that. It's a very, very tense situation, Jimmy. In my latest reports this morning, I looked at some sources that I have there, and I've been getting other information. A full war alert is on. Israel is massing its forces up in the north. The Syrians are reportedly doing the same. They're uh, reinforcing their positions in the south of their country. That's, of course, where the clash would be on the northern Israeli border, the southern Syrian border, the Golan border, that area, Hezbollah, Lebanon. Everybody's on full war footing, Jimmy, and if it doesn't erupt into a larger conflict at this point, it will almost be a miracle. But Iran has been pushing, 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 and that was the bottom line. But, Jimmy, this was the biggest clash that Israel's been involved in since the 82 war and losing an aircraft last week, last Saturday, uh, uh, the last time they did that in southern Lebanon in 1982, I was standing there. I was in the valley where the air battle was going on overhead. I was working in south Lebanon at the time, and I saw, uh, well, over 80 Syrian MiGs uh, were destroyed that day, mostly Russian-built, Soviet-built MiGs. Israel lost three jets in that uh, massive air conflict, the largest air conflict since World War II that was. And since then, it's been pretty quiet with Syria relatively, although in recent years, Israel stepped up its activities, but only because of the civil war up there. But this attack last week was, uh, well, supposedly destroyed half of Syria's air defense system. Now, that's a massive loss. Half, up to half of their air defense, Russian-supplied air defense system was destroyed. Reports that, again, Russians were actually killed in that uh, Israeli response. Uh, we know some Iranians were. Iranian bases were hit as well. So it's uh, really, Jimmy, I could say the war is on, and it's just taken a pause while they seem to be reinforcing their positions for a larger uh, battle. And David, in light of this report, Syria is saying, hey, Israel, we've got some more surprises for you. What might those surprises be, David? Well, a surprise is a surprise. But of course, Jimmy, we've had uh, that statement also from Israeli leaders uh, for quite a number of years. The most intriguing to me was from the the leading peacenik, the, the leading dove of Israel, the late Shimon Peres, and he said, we have something up our sleeve that no one will believe if, if we ever have to display it. And so he was warning that Israel has some surprises too, but we just don't know, Jimmy, what the Israelis fear the most, of course, is non-conventional weapons. They know that Syria still has chemical capabilities because they're still using them. But what has Russia brought into play? And has Hezbollah got access to nuclear weapons? Are, are the Iranian Revolutionary Guards there uh, controlling that? Or are, have the Russians brought in such weapons? And uh, there's just so many questions and so many possibilities here. But, Jimmy, we really have a superpower conflict here. And we first saw the, the direct American-Russian clashes taking place about 10 days ago over this attempt to build a bridge over the Euphrates, and then just three days later, we saw the Israelis 
and the Syrians, or the surrogates of the Russians and Americans, the Israelis and the Syrians, and the Iranians, uh, also, of course, the surrogate of Russia, directly clashing. So this is a, a major escalation and something we really have to keep our eyes on. Well, you're talking about Iran. We know that there are a number of Iranian forces, the Revolutionary Guard, that are in Syria, even today at Israel's northern border. And a quite interesting statement coming from a Russian official. And the statement was, if Iran should attack Israel, that Russia would stand with Israel. Now, I, according to the scriptures, I don't think that's the case, but is that a viable possibility that Russia would stand to protect Israel, the Jewish state of Israel, against an attack from Iran? Is it real? Well, I would be more confident that that was a true sentiment if they were doing anything to curb Iran's power inside of Syria that they basically now control, but they're not. They're allowing these uh, Iranian bases to be constructed. There's several of them. Israel hit, of course, a number of them and did a lot of damage, but they're allowing that. You said a number of Iranian Revolutionary Guards, but, Jimmy, it's tens of thousands, and uh, we're hearing in one report that it may be up to 200,000 Iranian soldiers are already operating in Syria. So the proof on the ground doesn't show much Russian sympathy for Israel. They know that Iran has vowed and not uh, has pledged to destroy the Jewish state, to wipe out Tel Aviv and wipe out Haifa. And we know that they have this surrogate force right on the border, Hezbollah, with uh, 160,000 missiles and rockets. So, but, but on the other hand, Jimmy, I don't think Putin wants to see Iran attack Israel at this time. He has a delicate situation at home. He's facing elections, as you know there. Of course, he's going to win them because he's a dictator, but still... He doesn't necessarily want another hot war raging right at this time, and that's, of course, what would happen. It's going to be a tough choice, but I don't think they're going to encourage any sort of attack. But we know they're going to back Syria, whatever happens. Iran's another question, but we know they're going to back Syria because that's where Russia has air and naval bases on the western coast of Syria. So that's a given. David, I need to ask you about what's going on in the south of Israel, in the Gaza Strip where Hamas is located. Uh, There is information that Hamas has expanded its operating procedures by putting themselves, or at least some part of their activities, over in Turkey. Now, we're talking about from the north and the escalation for war up there. What about Hamas and their relationship with Turkey? That doesn't look good for Israel either, especially on another front opening up war. Well, and that whole northern Syrian situation is another facet of this. We've got a NATO ally, Turkey, invading northwestern Syria, going after the, the Kurdish forces there that have fought with the West so valiantly. It's a sad thing to see. But we've had the, the Turkish, well, I almost call him dictator, Jimmy, because he's becoming that. But the Turkish leader, Erdogan, has been very verbal in his support for Hamas, very verbal in his support for the Palestinians constantly. So the tensions are long and wide. And the situation in Gaza, Jimmy, the reports I'm getting are dire. Uh, there's, a, there's people are without food and there's a lot of trouble going on, a lot of internal violence and, and this sort of thing. It's a mess, and the Palestinian Authority can't do anything, and they're falling apart on their own and another level. So Hamas needs help, and Iran's been a good help, but uh, why not uh, have another 
ground front where you can operate out of. And I would expect, in fact, that there will be Palestinians, if this turns into a full war, Palestinians that will be going off to fight in different fronts of that war, not just in Gaza, where they don't really, they can't really do much on the on the ground in Gaza. They can't get out of the Gaza Strip into Israel unless they go in a tunnel <laughs> or something, which we know Israel's been successfully interdicting. So they're kind of stuck there. So it wouldn't surprise me at all if they take up some offers and go fight elsewhere. We're talking about a rough neighborhood in this world, a region of the world. The Middle East is a focus for us always on Prophecy Today because of its relationship with the prophetic scenario found in God's Word. And always a great privilege for us to be able to have David Dolan, longtime journalist in this region over 35 years, to help us and give us insight into what's going on. David, thank you so very much, my good friend. We'll have another conversation next week. You're welcome, Jimmy. God bless. We're going to take a break. When we come back, Winky Madad standing by. We're going to talk about the possibility of the Israeli government annexing Judea and Samaria, bringing it in under the sovereignty of the Jewish state. Great conversation coming up. That's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. Have you ever wanted to know more about God's plan for the future? Have you ever tried to understand prophetic passages in God's Word, like, say, the book of Revelation, and been frustrated at not being able to figure it out? Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's latest CD series, Keys for Unlocking God's Plan for the Future, will help you gain the ability to understand where to start in your study of prophecy and allow you to read God's Word in a new and exciting way. Understanding God's prophetic Word will allow you to live a pure and productive life until Jesus returns for the church. Keys will help you gain the tools you need to understand the end-time events as foretold in God's Word. Dr. DeYoung lays out a systematic approach to Bible prophecy for those who want to know God's plan for the future. Tracks included are A Roadmap Through the End Times, The Jew in Jerusalem, Daniel and the Antichrist, Ezekiel and Messiah's Temple, and Revelation and Babylon. To order your copy of Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's Keys for Unlocking God's Plan for the Future, visit our website at prophecytoday.com. Hi everybody, Jimmy DeYoung, welcome back to Prophecy Today. As mentioned earlier, I'm in Broadcast Facilities, a temporary studio for Prophecy Today, here in Edmond, Oklahoma. We're here for the purpose of being at the Fairview Baptist Church, two great services in the morning at Fairview Baptist. Pastor Paul Blair is going to be away, and he's giving me the pulpit. Boy, are we going to have a great time. He's away, and I'm taking over the pulpit. Love to have you come and join us 9.30 in the morning and then 11 o'clock. Do not want to miss either of the services. They're different sermons. Come and join us. We'll be at the Fairview Baptist Church for this Sunday morning. Right now, though, we're going to go, as promised, to Israel, and we're going to be talking with Winky Madad couple of things I have had to call Winky about earlier in the week to see if indeed everything was correct. So I thought it'd be great to have him on the broadcast with us and let's discuss some of those issues. Winky, thanks for being available and let me get right to the topic. This week there was somewhat of a hiccup between President Trump and Prime Minister Netanyahu because the Prime Minister said that he was talking with the White House about the possibility of annexation. Now, before we talk about the hiccup, what about 
annexation that we're talking about. As I understand it, I'm not sure. Please make it clear for us. Annexing Judea and Samaria. Is that correct, or what was the truth behind it? Well, the area that we're talking about, of course, is Judea and Samaria, the heart of the homeland of the Jewish national home. Annexation, I'm not a legal scholar, but I would prefer the phrase extending Israeli sovereignty to these areas, because I want you and the people to be reminded again, because I'm sure I have said it before and not once. All the area west of the Jordan River was supposed to become the Jewish national home by decision of the League of Nations in 1922, after they basically divided the original territory and Transjordan, that is the territory east of the Jordan River, eventually became what we know as the Hashemite Kingdom of Jordan. Uh, That's important because people should know that the Jewish people already gave up a large part of what they were supposed to receive originally. Now, whether or not Israel does or does not extend sovereignty, it's not a matter of annexation because there was no state there before 1967, Jordan was an illegal occupier. You know, a lot of people accuse Israel of, of some sort of illegal occupation. Jordan, for sure, had no right or no reason to be west of the Jordan River after 1948. As to the aspect of what Mr. Netanyahu and anybody in the White House were discussing, I know the White House has said we're not negotiating annexation. I have a funny feeling that Mr. Netanyahu at one point in time had said to a White House staffer or a uh, undersecretary of state or even maybe the president that we have several options on the table uh, from uh, disengagement, if you want to go one way, or extending sovereignty the other way or anything in between, including autonomy, condominium, a federation, uh, autonomy that Mr. Begin. I'm sure he mentioned it one way, so maybe Mr. Netanyahu was a little bit imprecise in exactly using the term negotiating rather than simply reporting or discussing. And the White House was correct. It said, we're not negotiating this aspect of it, if that's my guess of how the situation went down. Well, that clears up the hiccup, and in fact, both sides have already said that bump in the road is over. We're continuing on. The relationship between Trump and Netanyahu is absolutely great. Now, let's get back to extending, as you say it, the sovereignty over Judea and Samaria, the biblical sites that the Lord has promised to give the Jewish people in his word, by the way. Could that really happen? Is there now a process by which Uh, The Israeli Knesset or the governmental leaders of Israel could make that happen? The short answer is yes. The long answer is it depends on the Arabs. In September 1967, they said the famous three no's. No negotiation, no peace, no recognition. They were offered autonomy. They were offered uh, a loan plan. They were offered this, that, and the other. I'm not going to weigh in on every single plan, including a disengagement from Sinai in 1979, autonomy plan, uh, disengagement from Gaza in 2005, the Oslo framework, which they never picked up on, Bibi Netanyahu's moratorium on construction back in 2009 and 10. Either they want everything or they're not going to get anything. Uh, I think that's the best way I can say it. So that if after 50 years they refuse to recognize Jewish national identity, if they refuse to recognize something called the Jewish State of Israel, 
not just a state of Israel, is they refuse to negotiate issues of where the borders will be and what the security arrangements will be, whether or not there'll be a full withdrawal, no withdrawal. What other issue can I mention here? A disarmament, reducing incitement, etc., etc., and of course the refugee issue. Well, Israel also has the possibility of saying enough is enough. Five decades down the road, we are going to do something and extend sovereignty to all part, large or small, of what everybody knows and should know is territory that's biblically, historically, and legally the land of Israel, the Jewish national home. Winky, this have a great chance of being completed, actually coming to reality? Uh, sometimes we say in Hebrew, I'll give it to you, bimhera biyamenu, which translates as quickly in our days or speedily in our own times. I have a f- that faith. I'm a man of faith, and I also have a man of belief, and I think that's what's going to happen. Both God promised it in his book, and the way politics are working out, it's going in that direction. So uh, I'm very confident, uh, but I'd like to do it under the best circumstances possible, that the nations of the world recognize our rights, they recognize that we were always right, that the Arabs had the opportunity to get some sort of territory. They never did, including the famous partition of 47, when they were given an Arab state in most of West Palestine at the time, and they refused. So um, they're going to face a challenge of a zero-sum game. If you don't say yes in a small way, you're going to get a big no. You know, Winky, you and I both are men of faith. We look to God's Word to be absolute truth. And, of course, the Bible does say in the Davidic Covenant, found over there in Deuteronomy chapter 30, that this land will belong to the Jewish people forever. Maybe the timing is not exactly explained to us in God's Word, but we're near that time, I'm absolutely sure, as you take in context that land covenant. Well, one final thought, breaking news to some extent. I forgot to mention it to you, but I want to see if you know about it. Understand the Sanhedrin, which would be the 70 wise Jewish scholars, a connection to the rebuilding and then the operation of the next Jewish temple in Jerusalem. They have issued a half shekel, a silver half shekel. And on one side, the image of Donald Trump Uh, superimposed over an image of Cyrus, the leader of the Medo-Persian Empire, and on the other side, the temple, and they're commemorating what Donald Trump did as he made the statement, Jerusalem is the political capital of the Jewish people as Cyrus allowed the Jews to return to the land and rebuild the temple. Quite significant, isn't it? Well, it's a great PR element, and it also reflects a lot of the feeling here that Mr. Trump finally had the courage, the foresight, and the uh, recognition that it was his job to put an end to all this wavering, all this hesitating, all this um, United Nations, UNESCO resolutions about how somehow we don't have no historical connection to the land of Israel, and simply say, I'm not going to get into the politics of what the future borders or boundaries or or the status will be, and that's his privilege. But to say that Jerusalem is not the capital of the state of Israel is simply to fly in the face of facts and 50 years, excuse me, more than 50 years, almost 70 years 
since December 1949, when it was declared the capital of Israel. And he said, you don't have to recognize it, but the United States does. Now, I think that's why he got very angry when some of the members of the United Nations passed resolutions or declarations. He said, you can't interfere in what the American right and privilege is to recognize a capital of another country. That has nothing to do with international law. That's relations between states. And I think they're stepping too much on Mr. Trump's toes here. I think he used the term disrespectful towards the Palestinian Authority about two weeks ago. Uh, They might find themselves in deeper trouble than they wanted to be on many issues in connection with the American administration's view of what Israel's relationship with the United States should be. Well, and again, as men of faith, we must believe God's prophetic word. That's a part of an end-time scenario. Jerusalem will be the capital city not only for today for the Jewish people, but for eternity as well. You agree with that, don't you, Winky? Yes. As Isaiah says, all peoples will come to the holy mountain in Jerusalem and proclaim it the house of the Lord. That's Isaiah chapter 2. Look it up and read it. It's an absolute. Hey, Winky, thank you so very much. I know you had a very busy day. You were able to just carve a little time out for us. We appreciate it so very much. Always, Jimmy. And thank you very much for having me on the program. Goodbye to you and our listeners. Well, we're going to stay in the country of Israel. We're going to another location. We're going to have a conversation with Itamar Marcus. He's the director of a team of Israelis who get together. They have a mother language of both Hebrew and or Arabic, and they can understand the Arabic language. Thus, they then can monitor the Palestinian media, both the print media and also the radio and television media, the electronic media, for the purpose of being able to reveal to the world, actually, what is going on. And uh, Itamar is the, the director. Itamar Marcus, the director of this organization. Itamar, you've had some pretty good success recently, have you not, with being able to put information out. And it's good and very profitable for governments around the world to understand what the Palestinian people are saying. Is that correct? Absolutely correct. Uh, governments are, around the world are, are listening, especially the governments that are funding the Palestinian Authority. They had no idea what was really happening with their money. And once we started telling them, there have been many, many changes in, in funding practices. The latest people to be using Palestinian Media Watch material were members of British Parliament, who just uh, a week ago, when some of the anti-Israel members of Parliament started to attack Israel for arresting children, these members of Parliament, three of them, started quoting Palestinian Media Watch material from the Parliament. They said, how can you blame Israel for children being arrested? Look at the Palestinian Authority. They're inciting their kids to hatred. They're inciting anti-Semitism. They're telling them to go out and throw stones. They're telling them to go... They've turned their own children into violent people, to haters of Israelis, to haters of Jews, and then they go out and act on what they've been taught by the Palestinian leadership, and of course they're getting arrested. Israel has to protect itself. So yes, the Palestinian children are suffering, uh, but the people to blame are not Israel. The people to blame are their own leaders who are training them to be violent. Now you've just heard tangible evidence of the effects of what Palestinian Media Watch is involved in today. 
and very important information, the truth coming out as to what the Palestinian media is actually saying. Well, in light of that, Itamar, I want to talk to you about Mahmoud Abbas. First, after President Trump had declared Jerusalem the political capital of the Jewish state of Israel, then Mahmoud Abbas said that's the end of the United States participating in any type of peace process. So he was off to the European Union and there to meet with the leadership of the EU for the purpose of saying, will you move in now and take over the peace process? And then this last week, he went to Moscow, Russia, to meet with Vladimir Putin. Now, a couple of thoughts here. Number one, did the European Union churn Mahmoud Abbas's request down to participate in the peace process? And then the second question would be, how effective was that conversation with Vladimir Putin? Will Russia get involved in the peace process? First question about the European Union. Well, the European Union basically told them that they're going to be involved in the peace process, but they're not going to be leading the peace process. The only government in the world with the power to do that is really the United States. The European Union can make suggestions, they can criticize Israel, but they know that they have absolutely no leverage with Israel. They've been falsely blaming Israel for so many years for so many things that Israel would never, ever come to listen to anything that the EU has to do in terms of mediating a peace process. So that leads, and Putin is much of the same. I mean, he couldn't possibly come to the table with any kind of a suggestion. So that leaves the United States, and I'm convinced that the Palestinian Authority does not have any choice. They need the United States. They need the United States' uh, money. The United States gives them every year some 350, 400 million a year. Uh, the United States, since the Oslo Accords, has been the number one funder of the Palestinian Authority. So they, as much as they yell and scream and uh, and insult the United States, they're not going to turn their back on the United States. And when Trump announces his peace proposals, they will have to consider them seriously. We don't know yet what they are. He will have to consider them, Abbas, and then he'll have to respond. He cannot just say, "Okay, you're not, you're not, uh, we're not listening to you." You, you can't take the person, the country that's given you more funding, two and a half billion dollars in funding since you've been established. Uh, and say to them, we're not going to ever listen to you again. It just it doesn't work in today's uh, political world. Well, then these trips by Mahmoud Abbas, who is president of the Palestinian Authority, over to the European Union and then into Russia, are they somewhat uh, propaganda ploys, especially aimed even at the Palestinian people, the ones who consume the Palestinian media? That's exactly right. They are basically propaganda ploys. He is seen by his population as a failure, as corrupt. Eighty percent of Palestinians believe that he's corrupt. Sixty-five percent want him to resign. So he has to keep doing things to create a perception of leadership. One of those things is traveling, meeting with the Putin, meeting with the EU, creates a perception of leadership. But as you said, it's all internal propaganda to try to boost his ratings amongst his own people. And King Abdullah of Jordan, who really has a very important interest in what goes on in this peace process because of the fact that about 70% of his population is Palestinian. King Abdullah said there is no peace process without the United States. I mean, everybody else recognizes that. Will ultimately, you think, Mahmoud Abbas come around to that understanding as well? Uh, Mahmoud Abbas knows that, again, part of his own, his own propaganda has forced him to 
publicly say that he's rejecting the United States, he has told his people that because the United States recognized Jerusalem as the capital of Israel, that they won't deal with the United States. Well, once he's told that to his people, he has to go through the motions of pretending to find someone else, but he knows that he has to go back. And I'll point out something else. Jordan, who made the announcement that there's no one to replace the United States, one of the reasons they could have made that announcement is because the United States just signed a major aid deal. I don't remember the exact figure, but it's billions of dollars over X number of years that they're going to be giving, um, or hundreds of millions that they're going to be giving to, to Jordan. So Jordan has to recognize the United States and its leadership because that's who's giving them money. Actually, the bottom line, would you say that Mahmoud Abbas really wants the peace process to go on? I know he's encouraging the Palestinians to continue their armed struggle against Israel. Does Mahmoud Abbas really want the peace process? Mahmoud Abbas has never wanted a peace process. Long before Jerusalem was recognized by the United States as Israel's capital, he has been refusing for years to participate in any kind of negotiations. Israel was was forced by, by President Obama to actually release from prison 70, 78 murderers just to get Abbas to come to the peace talks uh, a few years ago. And he came and he was kept telling his people, don't worry, I'm not really negotiating, I'm over here because we want to get our prisoners released. Uh, they were released in three segments every three months, and there were actually another 27 who were supposed to be released, all of these Criminals, uh, criminals, terrorists, murderers, and and, the, and Israel. At the after nine months of this charade, Israel told the international community, "We are canceling the release of the last twenty-seven because there there has not even been one minute of honest negotiations by Mahmoud Abbas. He just did this to get his terrorists released. So uh, Mahmoud Abbas has never ever wanted to have uh, serious peace negotiations." And I'll tell you why. It's because he believes that he can get from the international community uh, everything that he wants without having to compromise at all. And the truth is, under President Obama and under the EU, uh, the last eight years he's been getting everything he wanted. Now the United States has a different uh, leadership. Uh, President Trump isn't giving him. Uh, so he's sort of stuck now. He's not getting international right recognition that he wanted, and he still doesn't want to go back to the peace talks, so it'll be interesting to see how this plays itself out over the next few months. It will certainly be interesting to see how it does play itself out, and as we look and find out what will happen, we'll do that with Itamar Marcus. He heads up Palestinian Media Watch. Uh, their web address, palwatch.org, palwatch.org. You want to bookmark that on your device that you go to the Internet with. It's a great site, keeps you informed as to what's going on. Itamar, thank you so very much. A very important conversation, great insight as we look at the Palestinian-Israeli conflict. We'll talk again real soon. Thank you very much, Jimmy. Another great important location is the European Union, and the expert on that in all the world, as far as I can find, is Dr. Rob Congdon. 
He's been with us so many, many years. We so appreciate his efforts to keep us abreast of what's happening there. Rob, let's get underway with our conversation today. I want to go to France first and get your ideas or insight into the Muslim leader warning the president of France not to meddle with Islamic activities. I mean, this is a pretty tough threat to a world leader. What do you think? Well, it certainly is a very strong threat, and, and it fits the three steps that Islam takes when they're basically trying to totally infiltrate a country. In Britain, we experienced each of the, the first two steps. In France, they're in the third step. That's starting to take over power and tell them what to do. Uh, Macron has recently said that he, it's almost like he's starting to wake up that his ideas of how to multicultural France aren't working. And he's becoming aware of how basically the country is being taken over by Islamic thinking and actions. And so he responded, and now, obviously, the Muslims of France, they, they don't want him to reverse the movement and the progress they've made. So they're coming out, in essence, it's a threat to him. And France has become so Islamic that they might be able to stand behind the threat. I sent along an article to you, Rob, that basically said European officials are saying that uh, the apologetics surrounding the Arab Islamic extremism and terrorism is being led by European leaders. Is that true, or is this just a natural happening because of the Islamic world's threat? Well, I think it's a response to a couple of things. One is, and I keep saying this, I used to say the naivete of the European leaders. I'm beginning to wonder if there's much more behind it, almost uh, what I would call more of a spiritual situation behind it, because they're going overboard to bend over to the Islamic world and to try to appease them and, and be buddy buddies with them. It's beyond just straight human logic to say, well, I can see why they're doing it. Um, there has to be certainly part of the spiritual warfare going on here and affecting these leaders, blinding them to seeing what's happening in Europe. They're not oblivious to Sweden and France and seeing what's happening in Britain, and yet the EU continues to be like the lapdog to the Islamic world. You know, here in America, the focus on all the news programs, on all the cable news networks, etc., has been on Russia's activities in the last election we had and in the upcoming election, the midterm elections as well. But that's all going on, and the United Kingdom is joining with the United States, and they're now starting to blame Russia for malicious cyber attacks as well. Looks like Russia's pretty active in the cyber warfare activities today. Well, I wouldn't doubt that they are, and I wouldn't doubt that our government's looking into it. Apparently, these ta attacks that uh, the U.K. people in particular have been pointing to occurred in Ukraine. And, of course, there is a multi-type of, multi-faceted, if you will, attack on Ukraine between Europe and Russia. And so, I, you know, I don't think it's beyond the possibility, but I also notice that whenever you can't explain something and people are demanding answers, it's good to pick some one place to say they're the cause of it, and constantly we see Russia as being part of that. Uh, whether they are or not, I don't think the facts are fully out yet. But there is a, a whole changing world on how you attack through the cyber attacks to nations. 
and it affects globally businesses, governments around the world. So, uh, again, I wouldn't rule it out. I don't know that we have enough facts yet, but anything involving the Ukraine certainly is going to involve the European Union, but most importantly will involve Russia. Ukraine is crucial, crucial to the defense of Russia proper. Yes, and we need to keep that in mind. Uh, this is key as we look at the prophetic scenario, founding God's word. Well, Rob, let's conclude with this thought. Our good old buddy Tayyip Erdogan, president of Turkey, has said that the Turkish Republic today is simply a continuation of the Ottoman Empire. That fits into his scenario to be the pan-Islamic leader and revive the old Ottoman Empire, does it not? Well, I certainly think, and we have said, you know, a few weeks ago we brought this up, that he is trying to reestablish the Ottoman Empire. What we need to remember is it was the Ottoman Empire that ended what we call the Roman Empire, the, the Eastern Roman Empire. It was the Ottomans that conquered them and ended that, and Erdogan is trying to bring back the glory days of the Ottoman Empire. And pure speculation, but some biblical basis could it be, since we know in Ezekiel 38, Turkey's involved, could he be kind of the triggering force that would bring us to Ezekiel 38 and uh, a reverse situation, if you will? Europe will have to take action and as they get more fearful of this growing Ottoman Empire. You know, the Ottoman Empire went away all the way around the Mediterranean, much like the Roman so this could be a reverse building up and preparing for the coming tribulation and the events of Gog Magog. Well, we're on the same track every single time I have a conversation with Dr. Rob Congdon. We talk politics and then prophecy. Sounds to me you're on the right track there, Rob. God bless you, my good friend. Hey, thanks a lot. We'll have another conversation next week. We'll look forward to it. And always remember, prophecy is crucial to understanding world history. Amen to that. Well, we're going to take a break right now, and I'm going to take a look at the book in the next session. Plus, we'll have a conversation with David James. We'll focus on the horrific attack by that young man on the school children in the Florida school. That's all coming up right here on Prophecy Today. Hi, everybody. Jimmy DeYoung. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. So glad you could join us for the 90 minutes. Now, we've still got 30 minutes, so keep the dial set right where it is. I'll give you in just a moment my conversation with David James. We're going to be looking at that horrific attack on the school children there in southern Florida. And the question we'll deal with is, if God's all-powerful and all-loving, how does he allow evil and suffering to take place? Very important discussion. You need to eavesdrop on it. It comes up when I talk with David James in a moment, right here on Prophecy Today. Glad you're available in the area of radio because I can now give you my poll questions so we can understand what you may be thinking about in time events. Go to my website, prophecytoday.com. Go to the home page on the left-hand column if you'll scroll down. Here's the poll question. Middle Eastern nations like Lebanon, Syria, Iraq, Iran, and Turkey seem to be gearing up to attack the Jewish state of Israel. Could this be setting the stage for Ezekiel 38, Psalm 83, and Daniel 11 
to be fulfilled. Now, that's the poll question. Please go to my website, prophecytoday.com, and answer that question. And while there, look up the information about our tours to Israel. We'd love to have you go. And our School of Prophets upcoming in May. It's all at my website, prophecytoday.com. We now bring to these microphones David James for our weekly conversation. The focus is going to be on the Florida school shooting and the problem of evil and suffering in this world today. It's a topic that should be listened to and understood as we take a biblical perspective on this issue. Well, this week, uh, we're talking with David just before he heads to the airport for his 30-hour trip back home from Uganda. David, has it been a great time for you out there? It really has. I mentioned to our listeners last week, I taught God's plan through the ages last week, and this week, I just finished up uh, the course, Signs, Wonders, and the Charismatic Movement. And also, I mentioned in our first week, I believe, that uh, there's also a school on the property that Word of Life runs, an international school. And I did two uh, seminars on this exact same topic with all of the teachers in the school, the reason being that uh, many, if not most, of the teachers have this background, and it is almost all of the churches here in Uganda, and I also heard that all, almost all of the churches in Ethiopia, and the same is true all across the continent, that this is a serious problem, and people just do not understand the work of the Spirit today. Well, David, I do believe this fits into our discussion today as well. The discussion this time marks, I think, the third time in the last four or five months when we have dealt with the problem of evil and suffering in the world. This week, of course, it's because of the horrific shooting in a school there in southern Florida. Well, that's right. You know, we first discussed it in connection with the Las Vegas shooting uh, that happened back on October 1st of last year, where 58 people died and well over 800 were injured in the final count. And then uh, there was that church shooting in Texas where 26 people were killed and 20 others were injured. Earlier this year, in January 23rd in western Kentucky, there was a school shooting. Two students were killed uh, and 18 were injured. And then, of course, on Wednesday, Nicholas Cruz went into the school in Parkland, Florida, in Dade County, and killed 17 people, including a teacher who tried to shield some of the students, and there were many, many others who were injured. And so it's something that, unfortunately, we've had to come back to and deal with questions and concerns, and we always have to look at what the Bible has to say about them. Well, of course, that is the bottom line. What does God's Word say about any particular issue, especially as it relates to evil and suffering? David, because this happened in Florida, if convicted, Nicholas Cruz could face the death penalty. Now, what does the Bible have to say about the death penalty, and can Christians support this type of punishment? Well, there are two passages that you and I frequently go to and remind our listeners of with regard to the death penalty and dealing with evil in the world. The first is in Genesis 9, and as uh, our listeners will recall, this is the Noahic covenant with uh, the covenant, an eternal covenant, actually, that God made with Noah and the earth 
after the great flood of Genesis 6 through 8. And we remember in Genesis 6, we read that wickedness was rampant in the earth, and it ultimately brought the judgment of God, and actually there was demonic activity involved at this as well. And I would say, you know, when you have something like this happen in a, in a public school where you have a maniac going, uh, a crazy person going to a school like this, uh, we have an enemy of our souls, and Satan seeks to kill, steal, and destroy. So God said in the Noahic Covenant, that uh, whoever sheds man's blood, by man his blood shall be shed, for in the image of God he made man. And so instituting capital punishment as a responsibility of society to restrain evil was something that God put in place. And again, the Noahic covenant is eternal, and therefore it is still in place. And then in the New Testament, in Romans chapter 13, Paul begins a chapter by saying, let every soul be subject to the governing authorities, And then he points out in verse 4, if you do evil, be afraid, for the government does not bear the sword in vain, for he is God's minister and avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. So we see this both in the Old and in the New Testament, that this is one way that God has instituted human government to restrain evil. Quite a biblical background for our discussion today. David, we try to be very careful when we get into the political issues. But every time something happens like this, the first reaction is a call for more gun controls and possibly stronger regulations. In other words, they argue that the solution is more legislation. Well, the problem is, as we know, uh, legislation has not stopped these kinds of things from happening. The the fact is, it's illegal to kill anybody. (laughs) So, I mean, the the, the laws are on the books. There are hundreds and thousands of laws on the books, and we know that people still find creative ways to get around laws on the books to commit acts of violence and commit all kinds of crimes. You know, actually, laws ultimately only stop law-abiding citizens. They do not stop criminals and they do not stop people who have who are crazy or have mental ill health issues in one way or another. Another thing about this is that the authorities were well aware of this young man's problems. Uh, there's a, an article in the New York Post that says that, that deputies were called as a suspected shooter's home 39 times over the past seven years. He was kicked out of school last year for disciplinary reasons, and then even the FBI was contacted by a post he made on Facebook. So he was in their sights, and they just let him slip through. And then finally, one other thing. There was a great article I read today by a teacher who said that the problem is the breakdown in the home and the breakdown in society, that she grew up in a home that was filled with guns, and she never once thought about taking someone's life, and that there was discipline in the home, and she she was raised by her parents to value human life. And this is the problem that we have. Kids without parents, parents who, who don't discipline their kids, we have a total breakdown of society that government can't fix. I'm so glad, David, that you brought parents into the equation here. I was listening to and watching uh, the service, a, a service that was trying to console everybody there in that area where it all happened in Florida. And somebody started shouting that we've got to hold the government responsible. 
I just felt like at that point we need to consider the parents' responsibility as well. So I'm I'm glad you brought that in. Uh, you know, basically, I guess when we're talking about natural disasters or horrible diseases or attacks by maniacs like they're in Nevada, Texas, Kentucky, and now in Florida over the last couple of months, the question comes to mind by many people, could not God have created a world without evil and without suffering? Well, the fact is, he did create a world without evil and suffering. (laughs) That was the original creation, and we read that in Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve disobeyed God and so introduced sin into the world, and so those who are descendants of Adam and Eve, we have an inherited a sin nature, and now we live in a world where Jeremiah says that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked in chapter 17. Paul writes in Romans chapter 3, there's none righteous, no, not one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. And later in the book of Romans, Paul says, Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men because all sinned, and so sin also spread to all men. So we are reeling from the consequences, and not just simply of Adam's and Eve's disobedience to God. We, too, disobey God. We are all sinful. And ultimately, because we are sinners, we are all capable of some of the most heinous types of crimes and violence. And if it weren't for having a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, who changes us into new a new creation, there is no hope for this world. And so God did create a, a perfect world. You know, David, every time some type of evil like this, that which we're focusing on today here on Prophecy Today, there's all kinds of thinking that comes to the table from different areas. For example, atheists. They often will try to argue against the existence of God, of the Bible, by saying either God is not all good or he is not all powerful, because an all good, all powerful God would not allow these kinds of things to really happen. Do you believe that is uh, the case, or are the atheists wrong? Well, I think they're thinking about it wrongly, and in fact, if God were to exercise his will to the point where he restrained all sinful actions of all people, atheists would also be the first to object to that. The fact is they have free choice, and they can do to do, and God does not prevent them from things that are displeased either. He gives them the freedom to make those choices, and the fact is they would not to want to be robots either. So the kind of God that they are demanding or that they are trying to use as an argument against the existence of God simply doesn't follow in that. And the sword that they are using, trying to use against the existence of God, is actually a two-edged sword, and they end up falling on their own sword and cutting themselves with their own argument. David, as we conclude our discussion on this very important issue today, How would you say we should respond, and what can we do in the face of evil like we've witnessed this week there in southern Florida? Well, we need to understand as believers that even though our citizenship is in heaven, we live in a dangerous, fallen world that is presently ruled by the enemy of our souls, as I said, who is the God of this world. And so we need to heed the advice of Jesus when he said that we are to be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. And I think 
Uh, it means that we need to be wise, and, and it may mean hardening soft targets like churches and schools, and also realizing that the government is not the entire solution to the problem, and we need to focus on the issues in homes. So that means that we need to proclaim the truth of the gospel. Life is short. We don't know what tomorrow will bring, and so we need to share the gospel with people. We need to be ready ourselves, and we need to pray for those who are involved, the families affected, uh, for pastors and churches to meet spiritual needs in these communities, and also pray for and support law enforcement and first responders, health care workers, as well as those government leaders who will be deciding from the local to the federal level what kinds of laws, if there are some that might help, that they should be putting into place. David, would you not suggest also we should pray for Nicholas Cruz? Now, he's going to have to pay the consequences for his act. Uh, but he has an eternal existence as well. We need to pray for his salvation, don't we? That's right. Jesus Christ died for the sin that he committed on Wednesday against these people, and no one is beyond the salvation and grace and love of the Lord Jesus Christ and the salvation that he offers. Hold that word prayer before you this week as you'll continue to hear news and think about this horrific act there in southern Florida. David, have Journey's Mercies as you travel back that 30 hours. I'm glad it's you instead of me. But uh, next week, we'll be talking to you back home in America. Thanks, Jimmy. Look forward to it. We're going to take a break right now. And when we come back, I'm going to open God's Word, the Bible. We'll take a look at the book as we bring everything together from here on Prophecy Today. Hey everyone, this is Dave James with the Alliance for Biblical Integrity. You hear me each week discussing current theological issues with Jimmy DeYoung on the Prophecy Today weekend broadcast. We founded the Alliance for Biblical Integrity because we saw a need for an apologetics and discernment ministry that would be an important resource for local churches, schools, and ministry organizations that face ever-changing theological challenges in today's world. I teach many different courses and seminars in the United States and around the world and can tailor the seminars for Sunday schools, Bible studies, and church services, and the courses for weekend conferences of 6 to 10 hours. For more information, you can go to the ABI website at biblicalintegrity.org. That's one word, biblicalintegrity.org, and click on Courses and Seminars on the main menu. You can also contact me personally through the contact page on the ABI website. I look forward to hearing from you. The book of Revelation is God's final word to man and the timeline of the last days revealed to the Christians. This symbolism-filled example of apocalyptic literature can be difficult to understand, especially when simply reading it from beginning to end. Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's latest book, Revelation, A Chronology, takes a walk through the prophetic book of Revelation in the order that the events will take place, chronologically, sharing insights into its true meaning and doing so in an easy-to-understand and practical way. If you have difficulty understanding the book of Revelation, get your copy of Revelation, A Chronology, and let Dr. Jimmy DeYoung aid you in your understanding of this profound end-times prophecy book that God has preserved in His Scriptures for for Christians in the last days. To order your copy of Jimmy D. Young's Revelation, a chronology, call us toll-free at 877-674-3298 or visit our website at prophecytoday.com. (laughs) 
It's time right now here on Prophecy Today for us to take a look at the book. We'll compile all the reports that we were able to receive from our broadcast partners in the beginning and through this time in the broadcast, and we'll look at what they had to report to us in light of biblical prophecy. Remember, that's the banner over my website, looking at current events in light of biblical prophecy. So that's what I'm going to do, give you a prophetic perspective on the news this week, which we were able to report to you here through our broadcast partners. By the way, on Prophecy Today weekend, these broadcast partners had key reports, did an excellent job, and focusing on major issues from different regions of the world. Let me also remind you that if you missed any of my conversations with my broadcast partners, you can go to my website, prophecytoday.com, go to Prophecy Today Radio Network, There you'll be able to find each and every conversation, and some of them you may have already heard, but you'd like to re-listen to them, or if you had to miss any of the conversations, that's the location, PTRN, Prophecy Today Radio Network, and do me a favor, please contact some friends, send them an email, call them up, let them know that indeed we have some very important reports from all regions of the world as it relates to the prophetic scenario that is going to be coming together in the last days. Well, let me go through our broadcast partners, talk about their main issue that they reported on, and I'll give you a prophetic perspective at that time. We went to Washington, D.C., the catbird seat, where we found Ken Timmerman. Now, he talked about the fact the United States and Russia were in a military battle, and it looks like the United States has killed possibly as many as 200 Russian advisors. Not only were they Russians, but some of them were mercenaries. As you look at God's word, the United States is not mentioned in Bible prophecy. Now, I could respond to why they are not. That's another time for another broadcast. However, when you look at Ezekiel 38, Psalm 83, and Daniel chapter 11, each and every one of the nations that I talked about in the Middle East, and then you have to add in Russia, you'll see that in these prophetic passages, Russia and this coalition of nations in the Middle East are key as they go against the Jewish state of Israel. With the United States fighting Russia, remember the United States is the nation that protects the Jewish state. When they're out of the way, possibly the rapture of the church renders the United States inoperative, then Russia takes charge of this coalition to try to destroy the Jewish state of Israel. I talked to David Dolan, longtime journalist in the Middle East, We talked about the escalation at Israel's northern border, and David said this is absolutely the case. Israeli Defense Force massing their troops at the northern border of Israel with not only Syria, but with Lebanon as well. I also brought to the attention of David for his reaction that a Russian official has said Russia will protect the Jewish state if there is an attack on Israel from this alignment of nations, and in particular, Iran. Well, that is not true to Bible prophecy. Russia leads that charge against the Jewish state. 
But David had some very interesting comments you may want to listen to as well. Then Winky Madad talked about the annexation of Judea and Samaria. Now at this time in history, conversation in the Israeli Knesset about a law of annexation of what we know as Judea and Samaria, sometimes referred to as the West Bank. God had made a promise to the Jewish people through the prophet Ezekiel some 2,500 years ago, and it seems that these prophecies are about to be fulfilled. In the book of Ezekiel, chapter 34, 18 times, the Lord says, I will find my people where they have been scattered, bring them into the land, and in fact, the land that he talks about, according to Ezekiel 36, would be the land of Judea and Samaria, the land that well may be brought under the sovereignty of the Jewish state of Israel. Itamar Marcus, he heads up Palestinian Media Watch. He reported on Mahmoud Abbas making a visit to Vladimir Putin to see if indeed the Russians would become involved in the peace process between Israel and the Palestinians. Looks like Abbas went first to the European Union. They turned him down. Now to Russia. Well, at the same time, King of Jordan, Abdullah, has made the statement, no peace process without the United States. The Bible tells us the Palestinians want to destroy the Jewish state, but indeed, Obadiah says, the Palestinians will be the ones destroyed. Dr. Rob Congdon covers the European Union, a major region of our world. We talked about Islamic radicals who have warned the president of France not to mess with the advancing Islamic presence, not only in France, but across the European Union. And in fact, we talked about what has been set up in Sweden. They set up a terrorist network there to coordinate the Islamic terroristic activities that will be focused on the European Union. And David James and I looked at the horrific attack on the school children there in southern Florida. The question has to come up, if God is all-powerful, all-loving, why does he allow such evil events to take place with the resulting suffering? Well, remember, God did create a perfect world prior to Adam and Eve. In the third chapter of the book of Genesis, Adam and Eve fell under the persuasion of Satan, They fell from grace, they fell into sin. And since that time, some 6,000 years ago, we have to look at man's sin nature as it relates to evil and suffering. And that is my prophetic perspective on the news this week, right here on Prophecy Today Weekend. Just this reminder, listen to these conversations I had with my broadcast partners. They'll give you more insight, and I've given you the Word of God to help you understand these current events. The way to listen to these conversations, go to my website, prophecytoday.com, and go to PTRN, Prophecy Today Radio Network. And by the way, having put together what my broadcast partners said and what I've just given you from the Word of God, It's evident that the rapture of the church could happen at any moment. And having made that statement, nothing left for me to say, except let's keep looking up until... Thank you so much for joining us today. This is Jay Johnson inviting you to join us again next week for more of Prophecy Today.